Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Happy to be back with you again today. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I know you'll enjoy today's show, and I have a big ask that will only take a moment of your time. Ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of our podcast. To leave a review and a rating, iPhone or other Apple iOS device users, go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. For all you non-Apple device users, go to podchasers.com. On either site, search for Real Estate Investing Abundance. Once you find us, leave both a review and a rating. Subscriptions are also vital to the show's success, so please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. It's free to subscribe, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Enlightened Investors with us is an expert in real estate investing and a real estate coach with a reputation built on results. She learned the business from the bottom up, scaling from a single family residential renovation to owning eight self-storage facilities. Enlightened Investors, let's learn the secret of thriving in the world of self-storage syndication. Welcome, Stacy Rossetti. Stacy, start us off with a story of an experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Yes, thank you so much for letting me come and be on this. I really appreciate it. Okay, so Stacy and I I remember actually I think one of the the key reasons why I've been so successful is probably because of my dad. He was an insurance agent growing up. That's what he did was insurance and he's now he's now does like in state estate planning and and all kinds of different things. But uh, growing up, he was an insurance agent and he act- I actually worked in his business with him. So when I was a little kid and I remember I was six, seven, eight years old, I was learning, you know, not to sell insurance, but I was doing things like mailing out letters for him. And back in the day, this is what you used to do, right? Mail letters and, and doing things like all the admin stuff. I was just like his little tiny assistant. And as we started, as I started growing older, getting into school, I would learn, I'd learn things like Quicken and how to do Quicken and I did all his accounting for him and his bookkeeping and, and so things like this. And I really, I think I have the skills that I have and the way that I manage people and my projects and, and what I've been doing over the past 10 years, even back for 20 years, really all stemmed from just working with my father and his business and having him just teach me how to really manage a whole bunch of different tasks and stuff like that. So I think that'd be a good story. That's a good story. To, and that's a good, that's a good way to get it going. Yeah. A nice way to get some education in terms of becoming an entrepreneur is to intern with an entrepreneur. Stacey, share with us a day in the life of a self-storage entrepreneur. Yeah. So actually, it's not really very, very appealing. We get up and I'm so in my business, essentially, I do acquisitions and funding try to finding by finding money. And I really focus on funding more than acquisitions. We've now delegated acquisitions out and we hired an acquisitions person, but essentially it's in the self-storage investing world. It's essentially three steps. It's finding them, funding them and running them. So the finding part, we've now delegated off to an acquisitions person. The funding part I handle, which is where I acquire the money and look for, look for private investors. And the running part, my husband runs all that and runs all of our facilities and manages all 
all those. And so essentially that's what we do. We get into the office and we're here in our office now. And my husband is out there doing project and property management stuff and, and kind of handling all that. And I'm, I just got off the phone right now with a private investor just right before this and just uh, talked to them about working together and borrowing some money from them. And, and my we had a meeting with my acquisitions person right before that. And we found a storage facility actually where the owner wants to owner finance that facility to us, which is really cool. So that's a day for us is finding them, funding them and running them. I believe you started off in the single family home renovation sector, which is not a particularly unusual way for real estate investors to begin. So talk about how it was starting out and how those first few years went as a real estate investor. I always refer to the first few years that I was doing in real estate investing, the good old years, because that was like 2010 to 2011, 12, 13. That was right when we were coming out of the bubble and all the houses were on the market and they were all like super cheap and just like all foreclosures. Back in the day, there was a lot of houses out there that you could buy, but there just wasn't a lot of money. So it's harder to find the money than the houses. Whereas now it's okay, it's harder to find the houses and the money. But but yeah, that's how I started out was just coming right out of that bubble and buying houses for essentially we created, we were very like cookie cutter. We would buy houses for 50,000, put 50,000 into them and sell them for 150,000. And we just just did that over and over for five years straight um, until we started to get into the self-storage business. Why did you leave that particular sector? It was working well for you and uh, you were doing what you knew, but you decided to give that up and to move into self-storage. So what was behind those decisions? Actually, I got pregnant. That was the reason. So we were doing, at that time, we were doing like 15 rehabs at a time. And as a mom to be, I was just, I was just thinking to myself, how am I going to manage all these houses and do all these rehabs? Cause even just, if anybody knows about doing rehabs, you like even just one or two was like crazy. We were doing like 15 at a time. And I just, in my mind, I was thinking like, how am I going to take care of this baby and manage all these houses? There's just no way. So I basically told my husband, I was like, we're done. We're not buying any more houses because we also had high houses in the pipeline and still like waiting to be done or whatever. And I just, I told my husband, I can't manage all these houses and be a mom. So it's like, we have to figure out, we have to figure out passive income. And I, we had not focused on passive income for that first five years, except for a couple of houses that had just come across our plate. And uh, when we were hundred percent privately funded. And uh, so basically what I did was just convince my lenders after I finished that rehab to just roll that money into, into something. I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but it was going to be something. And, and so we started looking for, like, we started looking for passive income. We looked at multifamily, but they always needed rehabs. And I just, I didn't want to do any rehabs. We looked at like buying portfolios of houses. And I just was honestly, I was just so sick and tired of houses. I didn't really want to do anything with houses. And then luckily my realtor that I've been using for 10 years, he, he found a storage facility that was like 20 minutes away from our house. And it had been sitting on the market for five years. And I actually, I drove over to it to look at it. And it was this dumpy, ugly storage facility. And when I, me as a rehabber, when I see dumpy, ugly things, it just makes my heart jump for joy. And so I was like, I looked at that thing. I was like, yeah, this is something I'd be interested in. And that's kind of how it all started. 
And so from that first one, you got into it. Must have been successful because you have decided to grow from there. So talk to us a little bit about that process of going from the first storage facility to, I guess, currently you have about eight eight facilities. Yeah. So the very first one that we bought, honestly, the truth is we had no idea what we were doing at all like and that's back and this is back in the day when there's really honestly in the self-storage investing world is a very kind of small niche if you think about it there's only 50,000 storage facilities in America which means there's a thousand storage facilities per state on average and 20% of those are all owned by REITs right so they're all in funds U-Haul and public storage and all this so 80% of those are all mom and pops and probably the mom and pops are all half of those are owned by the same Two of them are probably owned by the same owner. So you divide that in half and there's like maybe three to 400 people per state that own storage facilities. So there's just not a lot of people in the world that own storage facilities. So this niche is a very small niche. And and when we got it, we didn't have anybody to contact and say, how do you do this? Or what do you do this? I had no idea what cap rate was or yield or ROI or any how to run deal analysis or anything like that. So I just mathematically tried to figure it out myself. But that first year, that first year trying to figure it out, essentially we try to automate and systematize everything that we do because that's like how I run my business. I'm very cookie cutter essentially as because of my rehabs. And so we try to do the same thing with the storage facility. And we started out completely contactless, completely virtual, completely electronic. We haven't met any of our tenants in years and years. Like we don't meet any tenants at all. And, and we just, we got a software program that really managed everything, managed the back office. But it took us a year to even raise the rates because I was too scared that everybody was going to leave. Of course, now I tell all my students, I was like, as soon as you buy the thing, if you're going to raise rates, you need to give them 60 days notice and raise those rates. Because we took a year and then I thought everybody was going to leave and nobody left, not one person. So I always tell my students now, I'm like, you just got to get in there and raise those rates. Who cares? If they want to get out, they just get out. But so we just figured it out. It took us a good, I would say 18 months on that first deal to really turn a profit. It was a mismanaged facility. It was run, it was a horribly run facility. And so it took us about a year and a half to really clean it up, get it making to making money to at least even start turning a profit. But then after that first one, then we bought the second one and uh, within the next year and um, that one within 90 days or so, we had that one up and running. And now it's like, like clockwork, we've bought two facilities this year and they're all up and running. So far, so far, one in January, one in February, those are up and running great now um, and we're we just put another one under prop, under contract this month that we're going to close on next month as well too. And it shouldn't take any more than 30 days. So once you get into it and really start learning how to do this, how to automate and systematize it, it becomes very easy as you grow. Take us back to this first acquisition. You stepped into it without a whole lot of knowledge and you said it was very trashed and very poorly run. So just walk us through that initial process, you going in there, acquiring the thing, what were, what was the first step you took uh, to turning that facility around? Yes. Okay. So essentially what I do, uh, what's called train your tenants. I buy mostly mismanaged facilities, but sometimes I, I buy cash flowing properties. But the mismanaged facilities, what happens is the owners are most of the time taking cash, maybe some checks, mostly cash. And that cash, they're just pocketing. They don't have a P&L. They don't have a balance sheet. And then what happens 
happens is that once they've owned these facilities for 20, 30, 40 years, they just get tired of them. They don't care anymore. And that they're all paid off and they're just like, oh yeah, I made a couple thousand dollars. So we had to really get in there and train our tenants. So what that means is that it's the, on the first, your rent is due. If you don't pay by the fifth, you're late. That's a $10 fee. If you don't pay by the 10th, we're going to lock you out. And that's a $25 fee. And then if you don't pay by the 23rd of the month, we start the auction process. That took us a while to implement. And it took us a while for the tenants to understand that we ain't going to put up with their crap. We implemented that and started taking charge of being the management of the facilities. And so now every single month we do auctions. If you don't want to pay, then their stuff is getting out because we need to get somebody in there that's actually going to pay. But that was a learning process for us. That's number one is really training your tenants and automating that payment process. We're completely electronic. So essentially this just drafted out on the first of every single month. We don't take cash. We don't take checks. It's just on the first we get paid. There's 80% pay, 20% don't pay. And then our office manager is trying to get that 20% to be paid by the fifth. They don't get charged. Out of that 20%, probably 16% pay. And then there's 4% that don't pay. We're going to start the auction process. Most pay right before the auction. And then we'll have like maybe one or two auctions per facility. And that's how it goes every single month. That's just completely automated systematized. We have a software that manages our facilities and that software that we use, the one that we use manages that all the way even through the automation. So they'll get text message reminders, email reminders. They'll get they'll get reminders about the late fees, reminders about the overlock fees, reminders about the auction process. And they, even the auction process is completely automated and, and systematized just right in that software. There's a whole bunch of different softwares out there. We went with the one that could automate everything because we want to essentially, in my personal opinion, if I'm going to get into, if I'm going to get into passive income, it better be passive income. I want to set it up to be passive income. And, and so we just, we kind of went with, there's a whole bunch of different grades of softwares out there. We went with one of the more expensive ones because we want to be totally hands-off. And that's really how we run our businesses. It is totally, it's mostly hands-off for us. You had said that it was a very trashy facility. What do you do to spruce up a self-storage? There's not a whole lot to self-storage units. So what comprises a, a trashy self-storage as opposed to one that is up to standards. Like when I say trashy, it really was trash. It was basically a dumping ground and the owner had not cleaned up crap behind when they move out and there was tires everywhere. There it was just like trash everywhere. It just it was like people just didn't just was a dumping ground and uh, he never cleaned that up. So essentially the first couple of months were cleaning that up. There were so many tires. I ended up calling EPA and they came out and they just picked up all those tires. But yeah, most of the times so trash this one was really trashy. It was like the that we've ever bought. All the other, when I say they're mismanaged or dumpy, essentially that's because they don't have a P&L on the balance sheet. They don't have, the people are not paying on time. They're full, but nobody's paying. All of the units are full of other people's stuff, but they're not getting that money. So most of the time with a mismanaged facility, you're managing it so that it's managed where you can create profit. That's the difference between an in a mismanaged property and an income producing property. You don't have to buy a mismanaged facility. I like these because I like the value add and I like to buy, I like to buy like pennies on the dollar, 25 cents on the dollar or something like that. But some people are like, I don't want to do that. You know, okay. Then go out and find an income producing property. And essentially that's buying a business 
that maybe is full, mostly full, 75% or more, and it's producing income. Maybe you can raise the rates a little bit. Maybe there's some extra land where you can go out and build units or something like that. You can do a little bit of value add. More value add is on the mismanaged side than the income producing side, but it really is just based on what your risk level is. This was your first endeavor and it had been on the market for five years and you didn't know anything about analyzing in terms of what would be a profitable endeavor, what would not. What did you base your purchasing criteria on this first acquisition before you learned how to analyze properties? What happened is that when I went to go take a look at the property, I knew when I looked at it that it was just not managed properly. This property was was 64 units of 10 by 10 units. And it was on a three acre lot. That 64 units was in the middle. All the way around that building was parking. So it was two acres of parking and then half an acre of this building. You can do a lot of parking there. On two acres, you can put 250 units. So just think about it that way. The thing is the owner was like, yeah, just go find a spot. So the parking was literally like just utter chaos. Like there's no organization to it all. So what I did when I was walking around, I knew that there were 64 10 by 10s, but I didn't know like how much parking. So I was mentally, okay, I'm just going to count. I think this is like one, two, three, four, five. And then we call parking lanes in the self-storage investing world. I was like, okay, this is like, I'm as I walk around, I think we can probably get at least 50 lanes into this facility. So I may, I just basically said, okay, 50 lanes, how much can I charge for this? And, and then in 64, 10 by 10 units, how come, much can I charge for that? Now he, he told me he was only making two grand, maybe $2,300 a month, which in the end, he probably wasn't even making that much, maybe 1500, but he told me around that, but I couldn't really, I can't really on a mismanaged property, you can't base your offer off of what they're making. You really have to base it off of what the opportunity is going to be. And um, he wanted $500,000 for this facility. And I was not going to pay $500,000, that's for sure. But I did know that if it was 50 units, and what I did is I called the competition to try to see what they were going to charge. They were charging. So 10 by 10 units were about $60 for 10 by 10 units. And then the the parking was, let's say anywhere, it's like $50. But the parking at our place happens to be mostly like industrial, it's an industrial parking lot. Because this is, he was parking like big rigs, dump trucks, box trucks, tow trucks, things like this is what he was parking and not really like, if you have a car, you really only need like a 30 by 10 space. Whereas like a big rig, you need like 30 by 60 space. And so you have to think about that with parking as well too. And uh, so there was no place around that like parks big rigs, which actually is a very lucrative business. And so I called around to like big rig parking. They're charging like $130 a lane per month. All right. And so he was charging $35. Anything, anybody want to come in, it was just $35 a month. And then sometimes he get paid and sometimes he didn't. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm be able to get $35, $130 a month. That's crazy, which we probably honestly could because we're full with parking and people are waiting for us. But we are charging now anywhere from $75 to $100. And I honestly was like, okay, maybe I said, I said $75. Bucks. Let's just do $75 bucks for each lane. So we counted 50 lanes times 75 and came out when that's $20. a month. And then we counted like 60 units of $60 is $3,600. So I was guesstimating around like between five and $6,000 a month is what we should make. And that's how I based my numbers. 
is off of that. So essentially, that's how I did it in the first place. Before I learned what cap rate was and how to really run commercial deal analysis, when the truth of the matter is like, you really have to learn how to run commercial deal analysis to learn how to do this. But I, that first time I didn't know how to do this. And it came out to, we came out to six grand a month, sometimes 12. So we said, okay, like 60 grand, is that like 60 grand a month? Yeah, sorry, 60 grand a year is what we based our numbers on. And essentially when you're running deal analysis now and, and to find out what the cap rate is, you need to know really what your purchase price is, what your total annual income is, what your vacancy rate is and what your expenses are. And if you can figure out those four numbers, you can really run an analysis to see what the cap rate would be. You wanted to, you want to make sure, depending on where your market is, is it a primary, a secondary or a tertiary market? And then depending on that market, what your cap rate is going to be. And this was like a secondary market. So it's like eight to 9%. And I said, okay, well, let's just shoot for eight to 9%, right? On that. And then I said, okay, I'll run my numbers based on that. And this is what I'll offer. And that's how I went about it. And growing a business, what are three things that work? And I guess probably universally for every real estate entrepreneur. And what is it that they should incorporate into their investment business? You already mentioned automation. So give us two more things that are really essential for success in a real estate business. Basically, what I always tell my students is that, and that we work off the three-step process, which is finding them, funding them, and running them. You know, learn all three of these. The truth of the matter is in the self-storage investing world, running them is the most important part of the whole business because essentially when you buy a self-storage a facility, people don't realize this, that you're buying a business. You're buying like a retail business and you're dealing with tenants and customers on a daily basis. And, and the truth of the matter is that businesses, small businesses, something like 85% of all small businesses fail within the first five years or something like this. So you don't want to become one of those. So you need to really focus on, and I talked about it, training your ten training your tenants. You got to put your foot down. So they're going to try to take advantage of you. This and that's happening and I can't pay this and whatever. But essentially you're running a business. So you want to train your tenants and put your foot down. That's number one. Number two is just like I said, automating and systematizing as much as you possibly can to make it truly passive income. Our goal, my husband and I have a daughter, she's four years old and her name is Lillian. And she, we travel and we went like last year, we from August to, I mean, sorry, from May to August, we traveled for four months. We did, we went all around the country and did all these national parks and, and we couldn't have done that if we, if our storage facilities were not completely automated and systematized, we went to Tampa and we stayed in Tampa for a month and we couldn't have done that if they weren't automated, automated, we went to Maine for two months. Couldn't have done that if they weren't automated and systematized. So people are always like, I want to buy a storage facility. And then they just look like right in their area. And what I tell my students too is like, the farther the way, the better. Because what that's going to do is really, truly get you to automate and systematize that business instead. Because all of the owners that I buy from, they always live right around the corner. They get up and they open their gates up. They go sit in their office all day long. And that's what they do. And that one facility is their life, their business. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are y'all doing all day long? But um, but I think training your tenants, really put training your tenants and, and running your business like a business, learning your numbers, 
really looking at how to truly increase the profit of your business and automating and systematizing that, then if you can do all those things, I'm telling you, you're going to be so successful. What are some things that real estate entrepreneurs should definitely avoid? What should entrepreneurs avoid? Let's say, I think not, are you talking about in the self-storage investing world, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Just make sure. So, you know, not, okay, I just did a consultation with somebody and he bought a $1.4 million storage facility. The owner financed it to him, 0% down. Okay. Sounds like a great deal. He literally got a, a $1.4 million facility with no money down. And that's what he thought in his mind. Yeah. But he had no idea how to run commercial deal analysis. He did not know how to look at the numbers and to run those numbers. And I sat with him on the phone and we ran those numbers together. And I told, and he thought he, the reason he hired me is he wanted just to make sure that his facility was worth $1.7 million because that's what he thought. And so I was like, where'd you get that number from? He's like, I don't know. I just pulled it, just figured it. And that's basically how sellers are. That's really how sellers are. And what he did was, what we did is we ran the numbers and we found out that his facility was worth $1.2 million. And he had already had that facility for two years and it was only worth $1.2 million. And so basically what I'm saying is as an entrepreneur getting into this business, even if somebody wants to creatively finance a deal for you, that does not mean that it's a good deal at all. That does not mean that it's a good deal. So you have to, number one, really truly learn how to run commercial deal analysis, which is the hardest part of this whole process is to be able to look know how to look at the numbers and tell if it's a good deal based on the entire deal, based on the, everything, all of the information that you gather. So as an entrepreneur, that as a self-storage investor, if you want to get into this business, you have to learn how to run a deal analysis. That's number one. Number two is you have to learn where to find the good deals. You cannot go online to find self-storage. You can go online to find self-storage, right? Uh, Because that's where everybody goes. That's where everybody goes. And so now that's why you'll find a a deal that's in the middle of nowhere on that's for sale for a six cap. And it's, you do realize that this is like in the middle of nowhere. Like you can't sell this thing for a six cap and, but people will buy it because they have no idea, you know, how to run the, the deal analysis, but you can't go online to find storage facilities. You have to find what I call the hidden market. That's like, like you have to go directly to the owners and you have to talk to the owners themselves and try to get them to sell it to you. And then you need to educate that own the owners on what their deal was truly worth based on the income and all the information that you need to run the deal analysis. And and what they and what people do when they want to get into the business is they rely on a commercial real estate agent to just put these deals in front of them and then they look at them and see if they're good deals. And I'm completely opposite. I go directly to the seller and I educate them on what their true cost of their facility is and try to get them to to sell it at that price. You know, so that's basically that'd be my tips, I think, for um number three would be really learning how to fund the deals based on the all the different ways that you can invest in self-storage. And there's a lot of different ways that you can, there's a lot of different ways you can invest in self-storage, all right? And, and whichever one that you choose is what your fund, your fund is how your funding is going to come up. So if you want to do mismanaged facilities, it's completely different funding than like income producing versus new construction, whichever way you want to go, it's all completely different. So educating yourself on all the different ways you can fund deals, being creative with that deal, with the deal structure, and then the deal analysis and finding them. 
Good advice. There is so much emphasis in this business on owner financing. I've seen it time and time again where people go, oh, it's owner financed. I can't go wrong here. Yet they're overpaying. If you're overpaying, you're never going to get a profit. Before we go into the last segment of our show, share with our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Just check me out on, just go to my website, stacyrosetti.com, and then you can find free trainings there. Lots of free trainings are there, and you can just check me out. Uh, everything that you need to know about me is there, but I highly recommend just, if you really want to get into this, into self-storage investing, just start educating yourself, and I got a plethora of videos out, videos out there for you. Stacy, share with us one of your most difficult set backs, and this may be in business or it may just be a live setback. And how did you come through that time? And what did you learn from that experience? I would just, I would go with the the rehabbing with the, I did, everybody, I know everybody wants to rehab. I get that. All right. And everybody thinks it's awesome. The truth of the matter is that you got to be, you got to know your numbers and you got to be smart with your numbers. And I see a lot of people getting, getting stuck and just trying to get the next deal done. And this is exactly what I did. Like when I got 15, when I had 15 rehabs going at the same time, it was like, okay, now I got to go find another one because I got to roll all this money over. I got to figure out the overhead. I got to pay all the bills. I got to do this. And you just get stuck in this cycle. So for me, like essentially doing those 15 rehabs, which everybody wants to, I get this. Everybody wants to do it. The truth of the matter is, is it's not as glamorous as you think. And in fact, it's a job. I w- basically what I, I was a contractor. That's what I was a contractor, like a general contractor. So if you want to become a general contractor, do a lot of rehabs at one time. But now that I'm, I'm telling you, now that I've switched over to passive income, it's like night and day night and day. And I love commercial real estate. And the reason why is because it is so lucrative. And then number one, it's very lucrative. And then also number two is it's not as much work. You just have to, you have to use your brain more. Where I think like in rehabbing, it's more, I don't know, it's more action is what it is. Hardly any stress in my life anymore. It's so nice. I was thinking about the other day. I was just like, man, this is awesome. Like the last year has just been amazing. Like we're totally, we finished our our, our last rehab last year. And it's, I just, I can breathe a little bit now. It's awesome. For what in your life are you most grateful for? Definitely for meeting my husband. Yeah, he's definitely the, he's the, he's basically my rock because I'm all over the place. Truth, you know, I'm a, I'm a visionary. I'm like, let's do it. I'm a risk taker. I'm like, let's do it. And he's just like the analytical person that brings me down. And it's, sometimes it's annoying, but most of the time it's like, good. I, I listen to him I'm like, you know what? You're probably right about that. That's number one. Definitely. My husband is definitely my better half and uh, my daughter. And I always tell everybody that the best, the best day of my life, the best night of my life was when I met my husband. And the best day of my life is when I had my daughter. Two, the two most important days of my life. Share with us three good things uh, from the last 24 hours. I already told y'all, literally right before this podcast, I talked to a, an investor. Where I spoke in the last 24 hours. I spoke at an event. Actually, this is uh, very interesting. I spoke at an event. I live in Atlanta in the Atlanta area. I'm on the East Coast. The event was a San Jose event. And they meet at 7 p.m., which is like 10 o'clock for me. So I spoke from 1030 to midnight last night. And we spoke about self-storage investing just like this and just got up and I just taught. And one of the people that were listening was somebody that's an investor and invests in projects in California. 
kind of obviously if you invest in California, you got to have some money. And so she, she set an appointment with me immediately today to talk to me. And uh, she's very interested in investing and, and working with me on self storage stuff. So she does multifamily now. And she's like, I've been wanting to get into self storage. She's, I'm so impressed for you and impressed with you. Let's work together. Let's figure this out. So that happens. I taught and I, I met with my team, which is very important with me. And I all do, they do everything on the back office for me. And I met with a private lender. So how are you putting your success as an investor and entrepreneur to work to create a universal well-being and abundance for all beings? Yes. So if any, if you know me or if you get to know me, you will, you will uh, see that I'm all about abundance all about giving. We actually own a company. It's a real estate education company, but it's called REI USA. But it's basically what it is. It's a a nationwide education and, and networking platform for real estate investors. But what it is, it's me plus all like these experts across the country. And they're just essentially investors just like me. And all they want to do is all we want to do is just share our knowledge. Like it's, it's free. And we just get on and we just teach. And, and and it's a group of essentially givers across the nation that essentially they've all made it. They're all making money, doing deals, awesome. And they're just like, they just come onto the platform. They do a live webinar training. You get to put yourself visually in front of everybody and see them. And they just teach their secrets. And, and that's, like I said, I'm, we're all about, and that's why I started the, that's why I started REI USA is it's the mission of REI USA is affordable financial literacy. And we want to, me and my teachers, we want to teach as many people as we can to do exactly what we're doing, just to be smart with your money. Be smarter with your money because I feel like there's such a lack of education and being financially independent and, and smart. So that's, I think, my part. My last question is, when you leave this world, what do you want as your epitaph? What I want is my epitaph. My, I would, I want actually the most important thing for me is who, who Lillian becomes. That's the most important thing for me. And and she's going to get all these storage facilities and she's generation, then generate ever say, oh, I'm doing this for generational wealth. This is, I'm not doing this for generational wealth. That's a bonus. That's the bonus. What for my husband and I, what we do is focus on the type of person that Lillian is going to become. So I want her to be loving and empathetic. I want her to be compassionate. She wants giving, right? I want her to be this type of a person. I want her to serve others. And uh, so that's what my legacy is. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's what my husband's doing is making sure that Lillian is, becomes a, a true server of people and a giver. Well, Stacy, it has been a pleasure having you today. Thank you for enlightening us and thank you for sharing your life with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Seed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at SteveTalker.com.